Hey, everybody, it's Mike Brickheim, and this is another episode of Madiv's Getting to Know Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, our chief legal officer, like the top lawyer in the organization, Mr. Ricardo Nunez, or Senor Ricardo Nunez, which, which do you prefer, counselor? You know, Ricardo will be fine, Mike. <laughs> We're trying to help people, Ricardo, understand more about the people and the personalities and the products and the places. So being the lawyer, we do want to have a little bit of fun here. So is there any fine print that you need to cover or any, any admonishment for any of us? Uh, yes, but I'll, I will just keep it to myself for now. I'll use it only when I need to. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to spend with us as we get into the integration stuff. I know you've got a ton going on. You were instrumental in bringing this thing together. For the listening audience, Ricardo, how would you describe the role of the top lawyer in a public company? Mike, that's a great question. I mean, I think if you were to narrow it down, just really has to help guide the company. And, and by guiding, the top lawyer has to make sure that everything we do is compliant with laws, but also has to be practical and provide supportive advice so that we can be responsive to our customers, to our suppliers. I mean, I'll tell you a lot of times when I'm asked, you know, sort of, what do you do? I love to say I'm in sales because as a lawyer, you're always selling something. You're either helping sell the close of a contract or you're helping sell your client's position to a judge or a regulatory uh, body. So to some degree, you're also in sales. And that's what we got to do. Just be supportive to the company's overall mission and drive success. So did you grow up like from the very beginning, wanted to be a sales guy slash lawyer? No, you know, I think from the very beginning, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I remember at, at the age of 11, through a friend of the family's, I was importing silver jewelry from Guatemala and selling it door to door. I tarred driveways, I washed cars, I picked weeds. It was whatever, you know, I sold tinajas, which are big uh, flower pots, also from Central America, door to door. And so I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And that's why I think it brought me not only to be a lawyer, but to be an in-house counsel, because... Really, my role is to grow the company, and it gave me sort of that that's ability to be part of a growing entity with a mission. So let's go back to those early days then, Ricardo. So those entrepreneurial, early formative days, where were those spent? So let's see. So I was born and raised in Coral Gables, Florida. From there, when I was uh, about five years old, we moved to the Bahamas, and that's actually where I learned English in the Bahamas. It's kind of cool. I was a little fat blonde kid with a British accent. I've lost it since what I would do to get it back. But I stayed there kindergarten, first grade, second grade, then moved back to Coral Gables. And that's, those were my formative years growing up in, uh, in South Florida. So how did you make those connections with the Guatemalan silver people? And how did that come into focus? Yeah, really a friend of the families, friend of my dad's. Uh, my dad was always, uh, my, you know, my parents, as, as you may know, they emigrated from Cuba and established their, their homes in, in South Florida. And my father was always involved in international business. And we had a contact that was Guatemalan, and he was able to help me import these things. And, uh, and that's what we did. So it was through family connections that I was able to sort of get my, uh, it wasn't my first business venture, but my first import venture off the ground. Gotcha. So when you say we, you've got a couple brothers, right? Were they part of the, the enterprise? My youngest brother, no. He's 10 years younger, so he was uh, way too young uh, or didn't exist. But my other brother, Emilio, yes, he, he was. And we had, you know, other 
other enterprises. But yeah, he helped me uh, carry the tinajas and the uh, the silver jewelry and, and things like that. So it was it was a lot of fun. What are the, uh, is it tinajas or dinajas? Yeah, a tinaja is a large ceramic flower pot. You, you'll see them in, in festivals and things like that. They're often painted in different colors, blue, green, yellow, with patterns. And, and sometimes they're just plain. I sold both varieties. And if you're interested, I can still hook you up. Just let me know for a small fee. Of course, of course. Going back to your parents immigrated from Cuba. You learned English around five. So Spanish spoken in the house through your entire childhood? Yeah, through my entire childhood and really my, my adulthood. I mean, it seemed to me if my father ever spoke English to me, it was because he was mad. So we tried to limit that. And uh, but, but yeah, it, throughout my life, really, Spanish has been in. My grandparents didn't really speak English. Maybe, you know, a handful of words, but, but not more than that. So it was always Spanish. That's right. So how long have you been in, a, in the Atlanta area then? I have been in Atlanta since June of 2000. I relocated with a prior employer and, uh, and getting, you know, getting us out of Miami was quite the task. But, you know, in speaking to my wife, we decided, let's give this a shot and see how it goes. And, you know, and I had quit a prior job uh, to avoid moving. Uh, so she knew that I would quit this one if they didn't bring me back to Miami. And, uh, and the way it worked is we really got to Atlanta, loved it, thought it was a, just a great, nice environment to raise a family, uh, and decided to stay. And then it was a matter of just not moving out of Atlanta until the children were grown. Is your wife from South Florida too? Well, uh, she was born in Lima, Peru, and she moved to Miami when she was nine years old. And then from there, you know, grew up in South Florida. Yep. We've got these American, Peruvian, Cuban kids. How many of those are there and what are they up to? You mean how many kids do we have? Uh, we, we've got uh, yeah. three, three of them. So I've got, uh, they range in age, and I had to verify this the other day. So they range in, range in age from 18 to 30. So I've got my oldest son, 30 years old, Ricky. He was, you know, born in Miami, and he's currently at Mercer Law School. He worked for Coca-Cola for, for five years, but went back to school to get his law degree. I've got my daughter, Alessandra. Gosh, I, I think she's 27, uh, plus or minus one. And she is at NYU getting her MBA. She's done great. I mean, after graduating Vanderbilt, she decided to promote country music bands and had a really nice career going there, but really wanted to take it to the next level. And that's why she's getting her MBA. And then I've got my youngest, Daniel, and he just graduated high school and he'll be uh, going to also NYU to the Stern School of Business there to study business. And that's it. Those are the three we have. They're all also athletes. My, my boys are standout wrestlers and my daughter was a standout basketball player. And, and now they're you know, sticking to business or, or, or school. That's great. You've got similar distance between your oldest and youngest and you and your youngest brother, right? That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, totally coincidental. Uh, my youngest was actually born in Atlanta. He's our only Georgian. But yeah, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, we had had our two children. We're like, you know, we'd like to have one more and it's now or never. And, uh, and that's, that's how it happened. So we had our third. And, uh, but, but, you know, we're older parents now, so he's, he's more like a grandchild to us. I mean, you know, it's like, 
you know, when they're growing, the early ones, it's like, oh, be careful, he's going to break a leg or he's going to break the lamp. Now it's like, look, how cute, he crashed the jet ski. Oh, how cute. So it's sort of different. What would be the advice that you would give to your younger self? Like as you're coming into the workforce, if you could go back and look at it differently, what advice would you give yourself? You know, I, I don't think I would change anything that I've done, but I think I would be more open to taking risks and and not think that everything has to be totally pre-thought out and, and previewed. Sometimes, you know, take that swing that you don't anticipate and certainly don't hold yourself back from opportunities that you want to pursue as a result, you know, from a risk, say, of failure. Uh, so that would be it. Just make sure you swing big and pursue aggressively. So along the lines of swinging big, Madif, like we've got a brand new company here. And I know you've worked for a bunch of large companies. You've been, you know, public company general counsel or chief legal officer several times. As you look at this, this whole thing coming together, what, what are you most excited about? I'll say it's really a, a, a lot of things, but one of it is to be able to be a part of shaping this new company. Few are the opportunities where an individual will be able to shape the future of a company in the way that we get to do it at Madiv because it is a new company. So I think that is exciting. You know, quite frankly, being able to work with a bunch of really talented people. I know it sounds kind of a cliche to say that, but it's exactly what I found in coming together as, as, as Madiv. So it's really things like that and just the great opportunities and, uh, you know, and I look at the leadership of the company and they're not afraid. They're bold leadership that they're willing to take risks and gambles, of course, well thought out and planned because you don't want to be reckless. But I just think uh, just having those opportunities and just a great platform like Madiv to grow will also be exciting. So a lot of things that really excite me about this. That's great. So as we've come together, you mentioned the leadership team. We did a the first Matt of Getting to Know podcast with Julie. But we've got this combination of legacy company leadership, a little bit of new, fresh eyes from the outside. What's been your experience so far coming together as a leadership team? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll tell you, it's been seamless. And I mean, I don't want to name people simply because it's, it's just I, I would have to continue to continuously name people. But I mean, I'll name one. I mean, Vishal one of the business unit leaders. I mean, meeting him, I felt like I'd known him my whole life and uh, we had never met. I mean, and it's the same thing across the functions and across the rest of the business lines. So it, it really, um, I guess that's been the most surprising thing, just how seamlessly we have all been able to come together with a common mission and a focus to, to really grow this company in a responsible way. Was that a concern for you coming in? I know you've done a bunch of deals in the past. Did your experience dictate that would be a watch out? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been involved in over 30 M&A transactions. And the biggest one is always sort of the potential culture clash. So it's always something I look out for. It wasn't particularly a concern for this transaction, uh, but it was just one as it is with all transactions. But I was just pleasantly surprised how seamlessly and quite frankly, a merger of equals is extremely rare. You know, this was not an acquisition or a divestiture. This was a merger. You have, you know, just a handful of these in any given year. So they are a little more sort of fraught with risk. And it's just pretty impressive how seamlessly it's come together. That's great. 
All right, so pretend with me, Ricardo. Let's say it's a Monday morning. You're just starting your week. You're heading to the office. Your commute's a little longer than you'd like it to be since you're over in East Cobb. Maybe traffic's not great. But from there, what does the perfect day at Madiv look like for the chief legal officer? So I've arrived at the office, right? Or am I still okay? So it's post breakfast. Well, you know what? We can, let's just put let's put you in your rig. You're driving to the office. You're just yeah. You're 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 in route. Okay, so I, I'm in route. I've probably already had my bagel, but I probably have just picked up my uh, cold iced tea. So in route, what I'm doing is I'm speaking to somebody at the company on the drive. So I'm either you know connecting with uh, the CFO or I'm connecting with one of my counsels in uh, in Europe since it is later there and I'm trying to get some, some business done on the drive, hands-free, of course, so you got to be safe when you're driving. Safety above uh, all. Right, safety above all. And, uh, uh, and, and really, you know, I've, I've come to the office. Hopefully the entire day is not back-to-back meetings. I do, you know, try to make sure that there's time to do actual work. And so a perfect day will be, you know, maybe two to no more than four hours of meetings. And then the work just reviewing contracts, reviewing any sort of transactional documents, reviewing compliance type of issues, strategizing if we have a litigation. It's things like that, working on ESG initiatives, uh, just things of that nature is what, uh, that really would be a perfect day. And really it's one of the draws to this type of business, just the variety of issues that you get. And, uh, and I think that is one of the things that differentiates a good in-house counsel from one that's not. And it's just the ability to pick up a variety of topics and handle them in an expert fashion. So, so that's the typical day and making sure I get lunch. You know, my, my sons uh, for wrestling, they sometimes had to cut weight. Uh, I don't, at least not for wrestling. So food seems like a, a common theme here because you already stopped for your bagel you stopped for your iced tea and we're going to make sure you get lunch. Is there a specific spot that you stop for the bagel and iced tea? And is it the same spot? No. So, I mean, the bagel, oftentimes I just pick it up at home, but, but it, or make it at home. But if not, you know, there's a convenient Panera on the way to the office. I'll pick up my iced tea there. Sometimes I'll get one of their bagels if I haven't made my own. And that's it. As far as lunch, you know, I'm not picky. I just, uh, I go with simple lunches, make sure there's a chocolate chip cookie involved just, you know, to stay energetic and, and you know, high pace. Uh, but that's about it. Not, not too picky. So in my early days with you, Ricardo, you can't meet you and not feel the warmth associated with that. You, you talked about connecting to people on the way, you know, to the office. Like you do a really great job of, of, of ensuring those connections. But we didn't know each other. Um, terribly well. And I think it was like a random Thursday morning, I got a text from you letting me know that Panera had a deal on fountain drinks throughout the summer, right? So there's a little bit bit of frugality that exists. You know, you're looking for deals. You know, listen, I, I'm always looking for deals. And uh, and that's right. I, I will say, and the, and the Panera thing is year round now. I mean, it's basically like 1099 limitless drinks, 
every two hours, actually. So that's a that's a pretty good deal if you're a tea drinker. But yeah, no, I listen, I think uh, frugality is important so that you can actually invest in what's worthwhile, like a good education or what have you. So if I can save on a chicken sandwich, but invest in uh, in my son's education, I'll take that deal. Perfect. Um, let's talk about cookies. Chocolate chip cookies in particular. You, I think, like cookies more than anybody that I can recall meeting, spending any meaningful time with. Where does that come from? The liking cookies? Uh, well, I don't know. I, it, it must be a genetic thing. I think uh, my whole family likes cookies. I know that, um, that I eat quite a bit of them. It, it just, you know, it just keeps you energetic, Mike. I think everybody likes cookies. You, you make cookies, you buy cookies. Where are the very best cookies? Yeah, you know, listen, there are a lot of great designer cookies, but if you just want the rank and file consistency and value, just go to Subway. Just get yourself three chocolate chip cookies, less than two bucks, and they're generally consistently good. I have hit one or two Subways that aren't, but otherwise, it's a nice, consistent cookie. It's not fancy, though. It's not your Alley's cookies or some of your other, you know, fancy brands, but those are far more expensive. Is there a guilty pleasure that you have, Ricardo, outside of chocolate chip cookies? Oh, yeah. So every time I go to Miami, my first stop and my last stop before leaving is Carvel. And I'll get a large uh, chocolate shake with vanilla ice cream. Um, and, and, and don't get confused, but it's the vanilla ice cream. They just put some chocolate fudge in it, becomes chocolate. And it's fantastic. It really sort of horrified my wife that, you know, when we started going there early on, they knew me by name. And it was like, welcome back, Ricardo, you're back. How's Atlanta these days? And and, and it's always the, the nice conversation. That's great. That's great. And, and of course, Mike, I don't even order what I want. I just walk in. They say the regular. I say absolutely. You're like Norm from Cheers. It really is like that, but only at Carvel on Miller Road and about 97th Avenue. How often do you get down to South Florida now? You know, as you know, it's been a busy four to six months, right? So so not as, as often as I'd like, but, you know, I think uh, I like to get down there at least quarterly. If you had a magic wand or a magic stick, as I've heard it referred to in certain cultures, and could wave it over Madiv here in our early days to set us up for all the growth, achieving our ambitions, bringing our strategy to life, what would you do? What would be that one wish that you would bestow upon us? It's a great question. You know, what I would what I would hope is that everybody would be in a position where they could achieve their potentials and make their the the, the contributions that are within their powers. Because I do think a lot of times folks just aren't enabled to perform at the top of their talent potential. And that's what I would hope is that everybody would be able to work cohesively as a team because that's important. I, individual contributors don't make the difference. But to, to work as a team and to be enabled in a way that they can really achieve their potentials because that way there's just no stopping Madiv. Yep. I think it's a huge part of what we need to do is remove the obstacles and help people win, right? Ricardo, at the end of every Getting to Know podcast, we are going to ask our guests three specific questions. Always curious to see if there are any trends there. I'm going to hit you with those right now, all right? Okay. 
So the first one is what can always be found any time of year, regardless of what refrigerator, what can always be found in the Nunez family refrigerator? <laughs> well, I'll tell you one time what was found was our cat. Uh, but and we don't know how she got in there, but but she lived. You know, I think what you will always find in, in the Nunez refrigerator is milk. You just got to have something to go with those cookies. Like old school milk? Like you're not going almond milk or oat milk or... Yeah. My youngest son, when he was in the hide of wrestling, there was some fancy type of milk. But no, not for me. I just, it's just the plain, regular milk. Gotcha. All right, Ricardo. Second question. Amongst those who know you well, what would you say you are most famous for? It'd have to be one of two things. It's either boating. You know, since the age of nine, I was out in the bay by myself or with my brother driving our 13-foot Boston whaler. And I think to this day, everybody just knows me as a, as a sailor. But it's either that or practical jokes. And, uh, you know, I've only been at Matt a few weeks, so give me a little more time. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. But I, I know about the Boston Whaler thing. You can't sink those things, right? It's a good thing for a 13-year-old. Thank God you can't. But I'll tell you, back in the day, we'd be gone, my, my brother and I, and there weren't cell phones back then. So, you know, more than once, my mother called the Coast Guard to see where we were. Uh, but we always made it back. That's good. That's good. Because we need a top lawyer here. Okay. Last question for you, Ricardo. What are you most looking forward to right this very moment? Well, um, let's see. It's a little over noon, so it's probably lunch because I'm going to go grab lunch. But putting that aside, um, you know, I'm really very much looking to growing Madiv. I really am. I think this is an exciting opportunity, and I just want to see it grow. I think it'll be a nice team accomplishment and something that all of us will be able to reflect on and, and really be proud of. So that's what I'm looking forward to right now. I share that, and I've enjoyed getting to know you and working with you in these early days, and I, I share that. I think huge opportunities ahead for us. Ricardo, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today to spend time with us on Maddox Getting to Know Podcast. We've enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more and appreciate the perspective. For those of you in the listening audience, thank you for your time. I hope you've enjoyed getting to know Ricardo a little bit, and we'll talk to you again in two more weeks. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you.